You are listening to Ace Comicals, my name's Greg. Today I'm joined by my co-host Leon. Let's get started. This is Ace Comicals episode 19. If you're hearing this, my name is Greg and I'm here with my co-host Leon. We are broadcasting across all available channels. We have little to trade but can offer fresh comics and our opinions on said comics. We can and will provide this in exchange for ammunition and medicines. I get that I might be asking a lot. Anyway, let's get straight into it. So, um... (laughs) Yeah, the uh, purpose of that intro was to kind of bring us into a comic that I was excited to talk about, um, that I wanted to get straight on to talking about, because I've been bursting to sort of talk about this and mention this. A book called The Realm, um, story by Seth M. Peck and art by a Jeremy Howe. So this is a new book from Image, we're only in the first issue. Um, it's a post-apocalyptic fantasy, so think The Last of Us with orcs and drakes and black magic. So for starters with this book, I really like the world building and I like the way that the different characters are introduced sort of along the way through the the first part of the story. And I think the the blend of fantasy and post-apocalyptic sci-fi works really well and it actually feels really fresh to me. I don't know if you've ever encountered anything like that before, have you? No, not really. Um, I've seen a lot of post-apocalyptic uh, this is a word always typo, and then I typo it in my mouth as well. Post-apocalyptic, <laughs> and um, but yeah, I've not really seen it with the fantasy subtly added in in this way, so it is quite fresh to me. Yeah, I think um, I think it's quite unique in that way that it blends like fantasy and the post-apocalypse, which is is pretty cool. Because um, obviously, I mean, as you probably know from listening to us previously, I am a fan of post-apocalyptic scenarios you know like this this whole sort of survival thing after what comes after basically you know um and i i quite like that this seems to be i don't know if it's one world infringing on another or if it's all the doing of one guy who seems to have brought it all to life and brought it all in um i've got some theories about that but i'll get into that in a bit so the art first of all as well because I think the art is really good at showcasing this world and I think it's really good in its expression of the environments that we're taken through throughout the story. Um, there's a particular couple of pages that I really like where it, there is no, no text, no characters. Uh, it is literally just shots of the environment, like this two-page spread, which isn't, yeah, something, yeah, isn't something you see very often in Western comics. Um, and you can actually like hear the metal creaking and the rust and things like that. You know, like when you just see these two these pages, you you can hear like the wings of these drakes in the sky flapping. You can kind of hear the, the the wind howling down these streets. You can hear the metal creaking and things like that. And and you know some of the cables whipping about. And I actually think it's really cool. I did really like this whole thing. The economy of the world seems to be based around commodities, like like what you can trade, like stuff, but like important stuff that will keep you alive so like tooth things that keep you clean and whatever like toothbrushes and and things that keep you alive like medicines and fresh water and things like that which i think i think that's pretty cool and um it it looks as if our hero 
uh, got paid for his most recent endeavour in toothbrushes. This is a character called Nolan, by the way, who appears to be like a gun for hire. Um, and he takes missions as part of what looks to me like some kind of guild. Um, so again, with the kind of the fantasy thing, you've got like this guild of um, soldiers for hire, guns for hire that um, take missions from people in exchange for goods. Um, and you know they they help on escort missions and things like that, which is how the book starts. Actually, it starts with an escort mission that I don't know. Can we say it goes sour? Because I don't think it goes sour. No, um, I think it goes as planned without going too far. But um, it goes sour for somebody. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it 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 goes as planned and is a nice um, exploration of that trope. Yeah. No, I um. I really enjoyed this actually as an introduction, kind of like the whole sort of double bluff thing that it does and where it moves on from that and, and how it uses that to introduce our character. So our, our hero, Nolan, and then the other characters that we meet along the way, it's all, it's like, um, these are people that have taken up in, in, in whatever has happened to this world, in the bringing of the fantasy elements into our world, I guess this, this is supposed to be our world. So in the bringing of these fantasy elements into our world, these people seem to have taken up, or or the people that are best at surviving seem to have gone with it and leaned into this fantasy realm thing and sort of taken to the swords and sorcery a little bit. So the, the people that are most impressive are the people that have leaned into that. And you've got like this, um, this girl called Molly who is a really, really adept archer and kind of has like the range kind of follows the ranger archetype if we're going on fantasy slash dungeons and dragons how can i say this categorization of characters i'd say nolan is like a a, he's like a soldier kind of like a a fighter slash soldier um and then we've got molly who's like the ranger archetype with the bow other characters that are introduced well we have sasha who is nolan's charge at the beginning who she's kind of roguey, I guess, in the way she behaves. Um, yeah, I'd say so. Yeah, and you've got this big burly guy who slays orcs <laughs> that I don't know his name yet, but he is intense. Um, and I guess he's a barbarian. There's this other character we're introduced to called Rook, who um, sneaks about, kind of ninja-like. Again, very roguey. And uh, we have what I think it's setting up to be the bad guy who this is it like seems that way. <laughs> yeah. This is, this is one of my favorite bits in the comic because when it, when it shows, it shows you, um, cause they, you see these like these like floating chunks of, um, buildings slash castle things in the sky with holes through the center. And there's a load of them everywhere. And inside they seem to be like palatial slash uh, like, like mansion type things. Uh, and, and we we go to one of these places at a certain point in the comic, and one of the first shots we get is someone's throne room. Stacked next to the throne is a massive pile of um, like amplifiers and speakers, and there's yeah. a, there's a guitar leaning against them. <laughs> <laughs> and this guy, I think, is setting up to be the main bad guy, and he's like some crazy like necromancer slash like he's like messing with black magic, and he looks like 
basically he 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 looks like a rock star gone wrong <laughs> he's got like he's got like his leather trousers on and his tattoos down his arms and black makeup yeah. he looks like he's about to go on stage yeah he looks like a rock star who's been given powers yeah yeah so he's he's a rock star that's obviously takes what he takes what he sings slash screams about on stage seriously i think and yeah i i just thought i just thought that was a really nice touch that you know he has a guitar and a stack of amps and stuff next to him and he's like this like crazy necromancer and you can imagine him like maybe being interested in this like black magic and things like that as a kid and then taking it a bit too far maybe and that being the reason that we have the world we have i don't know in this comic anyway but yeah all in all it's it's like it, it's really good sort of setup i feel anyway for the beginning of the story and i think i think it 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 does a really good job of laying everything out there and introducing characters and getting you ready for what to expect and there's some there's some really nice little touches in it as i mentioned and there is even actually um cuz i usually pick these things out when i'm reading these comics where they where they have uh, song lyrics in the dialogue this time we've got it's when um, our big burly guy with the mohawk turns up our barbarian i guess uh he's like slaying orcs and he turns up and he's um he's humming to himself and it's a song called dirty work by steely dan it's like uh, yeah. 1970s song i just I, I do like stuff like that when they put it in but yeah i think i think <laughs> this i think this is really cool and there's some some weird stuff going on with um some black magic and some th- our hero seems to have a bit of a secret involved in that actually as well but yeah no i i really enjoyed this book so i mean what was your first impressions here leon i mean what are you well this is a, a, a like many comics on this uh recommendation from you so i thought i'd check it out and yeah i definitely got that post-apocalyptic the road last of us type vibe especially the way it starts out and nolan um has this uh this charge this girl on horseback and there's a nice merging of both the rusted and overgrown nature of this future but also the fantasy like element of monolithic structures floating in the sky and i think they work really well together um this is a nice image of seeing a, a guy with, with a woman on the back of a horse just going through this, this this desolate setting. It's deserted. It's like there's no one else there. Well, yeah, it's like you were saying. Like you can hear the sounds of what's going on, but you can also feel the chill. It it, it just feels cold and scary. But um, yeah, I mean, at first uh, I will say I was distracted by Nolan's facial hair right at the beginning because he's got like a stubble going on, but it sort of circles around his mouth and it's almost a bit uh, of a sphincter style, which cracked me up. <laughs> but I, once I got over that, it was fine. But um, yeah, I think the intro setup is like really effective in setting up his character and capability. Um, I think they really effectively establish often with w- no words, just the art, the power structure and the twisted laws of the society. Yeah. Um, and it, uh, one of the fears of that is when you have this Sasha character, initially as part of this opening mission, it feels like they're 
that womanish that womanish chattel post-apocalyptic trope that you always get so like the world goes to crap and then suddenly like women basically have no rights again and they have been traded around she, but, she uh, has been treated like a commodity hasn't she is yeah the impression you get but i feel that they <laughs> effectively turn that on its head in a really interesting way and also set up quite a intriguing and like they, they set up a world which things little subtle things going on uh lead me to answer ask more questions but in a good way uh i feel it's a, a quite a real not really real it's fantasy yeah but like there's there's quite um a tangible texture to the world and it was like you're saying things like that that montage of panels just showing these empty buildings and streets yeah things like showing the throne room but sans the guy who's in there and showing all these amps it it creates this this these layers in this world which help sort of bump up the like well they they build the world basically but without us having to go through lots and lots of exposition and just little details like the toothbrushes in the toothbrush box and it it says more with less because these these amazing establishing shots that we're getting these establishing panels that are really well put together and, and really nicely composed can do so much Mm. without anyone having to utter a word or any narration in in, and i think that's the power of the art in this book that yeah it can it can the the way that the art is composed and and some of the panels the the fact the fact that there are there are complete sequences that go without any dialogue as well that it can do so much with yeah that's what leads to my next point where i feel like the action art is almost storyboard like in its uh, coherency and like its action uh, matching sequencing, where I feel like everything feels kinetic but very clear. Yeah. Um, and so, like, someone gets punched, uh, the next panel, I'm fully aware of the geography of the situation and I know how now how this person's been stabbed and how this person's moved from A to B to C. And it's it's quite refreshing. It's like, watching a good action scene in a film where you you feel all the hits, uh, you're not chopping around uh, and being distracting or confusing. I really appreciate that because I feel sometimes in comic art of action, a lot of the onomatopoeia does the heavy lifting or this is like splash pages where it's one action, but you're meant to have read like 20 actions into it and it just doesn't feel as compelling or it doesn't it doesn't interesting yeah it doesn't draw you in as much it doesn't because this this draws you in and it keeps you there because it feeds you the information and it's it's so succinct in the way it does it it doesn't over Mm. it doesn't over explain things and it doesn't under explain either It, it has the balance and it does enough to draw you in and to keep you captivated to the end of the book and then leave you craving the second one yeah you know and it's it's interesting because i mean generally i mean i like post-apocalyptic post-apocalyptic stuff but sometimes i tire of that sort of look and i feel like the adding of the fantasy element is a nice way to sort of freshen up this genre yeah and i i think that um 
the little touches and sort of the internal details have endeared this comic to me more so than I normally would because if you the way you describe it, Last of Us meets Skyrim, like half of that sounds awesome, but then uh, I'm not fully into like fantasy, and I'm not like I was saying I'm I, I tire a bit of a post apocalypse uh centered stories just yeah. the look the dullness the grays and the browns Let's... gets tiring after a while yeah. after a while but i think this does it really effectively and surprised me and i'm definitely interested in issue two Cause and that, yeah because it's not it's not just like oh here's some crumbly buildings or whatever the urban blight actually looks interesting it looks alive yeah. it's not just like i mean so many post-apocalyptic stories as well you've usually got like the road warrior type stuff or you've got the stuff that is just literally plain old people trying to survive against usually some kind of virus outbreak or something um which is the kind of thing i'm i'm i don't tire of the post-apocalyptic setting what i am tired of is the same scenarios being recycled so i'm sick of reading about a virus coming and transforming people into um some kind of zombie life form or whatever or you know um, some kind of spore or something it it, it I, I you know i enjoyed it i i enjoy it but now it just doesn't you know if, if another book comes along and it's like oh you know some kind of zombie survival story i'm not i'm not as likely to pick it up so yeah because i mean well this could well you're saying this could be yeah, for, for all we know, issue two. Yeah, I I I'm looking forward to the who, what, why's, and hows. I mean, it, it if this is a if this is a story about a virus, then so be it. I'm still going to enjoy it because it's doing it differently. It's not the same as The Walking Dead or something like that, is it? It's not. Yeah. yeah. Well, what, what I'll just say to wrap up my side is um, just a few elements that I thought were cool. I thought the cliffhanger was uh, interesting and fairly internal, which I quite liked. Um, like it, it ends in a way which is not on the type of action that you'd think it was or the type of revelation that you think it is so I quite like that um, I'll just say out of context Gunblade on Shotgun is fairly badass yeah. um, <laughs> and I'll give a shout out to Rook because Rook's like awesome owl design is so cool and I like the ninja like nature of Rook yes. so I'm interested yes. in seeing more I'm I'm looking forward to the who, what's, and why's, and hows, and I, I do want to see more of this book because I do like the characters introduced, and I like I like this fresh setting. Like I, the the thing I guess I've been trying to get at when I've been talking about the fact that I'm tired of other post-apocalyptic stories is that this feels fresh because of the way that it's put together and the way that it's done in a way that another post-apocalyptic story about some kind of virus or some spore that is transforming people into mindless shambling beasts is not fresh. But yeah, no, I really like it. Moving on from that, um, another book came out same time as this one. Another new one from Image, which is called Retcon. Um, this is story by Matt Nixon and art by a Toby Cypress. Now, what we've got here, um, we've got supernatural soldiers who were sent to fight supernatural threats. So, so secret wars going on around the world, basically, where, I mean, where there's real war... There's also a secret war happening alongside that on the ba- on the same battlefields and things where supernatural elements are employed, where dictators have, rather than having super weapons like um, 
what what you, we would know as super weapons like chemical weapons wmds nuclear weapons that kind of stuff they would you know like they they have these these supernatural weapons like um vampires or whatever or you know and they they use these people as weapons so so we've got like this task force who are supernatural soldiers with supernatural abilities who would be sent to fight these threats and we start the story at an AA meeting, Alcoholics Anonymous, where we've got an ex-soldier from one of these units uh, about to spill the beans and tell people <laughs> that this shit's real. Obviously, it all got kept hush-hush until now, and certain people want it keeping hush-hush. And we've got we've got some, some other members of this unit that have been drafted in to try and keep it a secret. So... The artwork's nice and it has a really sort of, it's a slightly like abstract feel. Um, the designs of the characters are really cool, especially post transformation because some of them are like wear bears or, or like um, lycanthropes and whatever. So when they transform, I like the way that they've drawn the transform th- transformed form um, in a way that it's quite, it's not just a, a you know, like a, a, an anthropomorphic man covered in fur with huge teeth. There's something about it. it's the werebear for example that appears in this book has got bits of human hanging off it when it transforms it's like the bear almost bursts out of the human body and you've got like part of the human face still attached to it and stuff like that which i thought was really awesome the one thing that i didn't get about this book it's called retcon and that is because the whole idea of this was to create a I don't know. It, it, it's to. It, I think. I think what they're trying to do is they're trying to make you feel that this has happened before, or they're going to try and make you feel that it's happened before. Um, from what I've read about it, and from what people are saying about it, and what the creator. Well, when when you read sort of like there's a short interview at the back of the first issue with the creators, and okay. it's yeah, it, it's like. Um, it's either going to move backwards and forwards through time or it's going to be that these events have happened before and we're supp- it's for us it's supposed to feel like events have been retconned even though they haven't and it's a brand new story which is something I'm failing to grasp at the moment because I don't know how you can achieve that because if something's new, it's new. Mm. I mean, there's a bit in the back of the book here that describes it as a psychedelic new series kind of like what would happen if David Lynch made a funny book with Steve Ditko and Jim Steranko. So I, I I think I can I can kind of get what they're going for but at the moment that's all lost on me. Be- and I mean I guess when I read subsequent issues um because I'm enjoying the story. The story's really good. I like the setup. I I like this idea of a unit of supernatural soldiers with supernatural abilities and these all these weird and wonderful abilities that these people have. Like there's a guy that can inhabit other bodies and control them remotely um, using an Xbox pad. (laughs) Um, And uh, obviously there's the werebear, the lycanthrope. There's a guy who seems to... It's some form of possession where he has a demon inside of him and this thing has like some kind of like built-in pre-setting for or predilection for self-preservation that transforms his body to deal with threats so i quite i quite like the ideas in this book i like i like the the idea of this unit of supernatural soldiers i think it's pretty cool but i just the concept at the moment i don't know if i'm being stupid or if 
it's something that I, I'm not supposed to get until I've read subsequent issues. That's likely the case, you know. Yeah, it just feels lost on me at the moment. I'm just like, okay, so how how are you? How can you have? How can you retcon something that has never been? You know. But we'll, well see. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think it'll be. Obviously, I've not read it, but I think like it's way too early to ask these questions now. <laughs> I know. I know. I just. I. It just. It seems to be the whole thing seems to be built and marketed around this premise, and I just don't. I don't get it yet. But yeah, um, it is really. It's a really cool book, and I recommend picking it up. I'm going to follow it. I'm going to see where it goes because I'm interested, and I'm interested to see how they manage to pull this thing off that they're trying to pull. Uh, it's very. It is very psychedelic, and it is very cool, and it, it this abstract edge to the artwork and these these colors. It's it's really good. I like it. I think I think it's I think it's an awesome book, and I think I think that's one that you should probably check out, Leon, because I think you might like it. Okay. So moving on from there, I guess we've got one that we both read, which is Wonder Woman and Conan. Yeah. Now, uh, this is like a it's like a crossover book, so it, it's it's like a fun superhero-y crossover type thing. You've got Wonder Woman and you've got Conan the Barbarian, and the two meet. So it's Wonder Woman in Conan's world. The book opens with Conan on the road, traveling, you know, doing the thing that barbarians do wandering about he, he he comes across a guy who seems to be in a bit of a pickle with some dudes that he owes money to and they're going to they're gonna they're either gonna kill him or just do something really nasty and disfigure him but i think in his words they're gonna burn his jaw off um yeah, something along those yeah lines. they've got like this this hot set of tongs that would be like like forging tongs from like a blacksmith's like a smithy's workshop or whatever and Co- the, the conan's about to just walk away and just be like whatever and then the guy offers him money he's like you know what i'll give you enough gold to buy a whole harem of whores if you want you know if you can <laughs> if you can free me from from these guys so conan's just like okay dude knows his market gets to work um slays the guys that you know it slays the assailants um and, and frees the guy now the guy then fesses up that he hasn't actually got the money but he's made a bet that is a sure win on the gladiators in the town. So <laughs> Conan ends up heading over to the the Coliseum with this dude. And this is where we're introduced to Wonder Woman because she's been captured by a slaver and she is now a gladiator. Uh, and she's been forced into gladiatorial combat under the name The Island Flower. And that's where it all kicks off. So Wonder Woman single-handedly takes down, like, is it six dudes? I can't quite remember. Uh, no, wasn't it, like, three or four? Yeah, she, she she basically just, like, takes down all these, like, hardy warriors and impresses people. Losing this guy's bet. Basically, this guy loses his bet because of it, and Conan just gets angry. <laughs> but he decides that he recognizes her from somewhere and needs to go and find her. Apparently they met once when they were children. I think this is what it's setting up, that Wonder Woman knows Conan and Conan knows Wonder Woman from way back when they were little kids. I I really like this book. I I like that it was, you know, it's just solid superhero fun. It's it's a nice fun crossover of two well-known characters. It's got kind of an old school feel with the way the narration goes throughout. Mm. I don't know if you felt that, but like, you know, when you read old comics from kind of the late 80s or whatever... 
or the 70s and you go back and read something like that it, it they tend to have this like um there was this trend of having this kind of narration throughout the book where you, yeah, yeah yeah where where it would narrate the events as they're happening and it would you know it would be like i don't know what's in store for our hero next but darkness this and flashy powers that kind of thing you know where it's basically it's basically foreshadowing everything or almost lampshading everything i don't know what do you think uh yeah yeah but i also think it's very much in the tradition of this sort of uh fantasy conan story well yeah Um, that's that's it but yeah it's this is what i mean it's like it's got that that kind of old school feel to it which i think is quite cool i think it's quite nice yeah i i enjoyed it but i mean yeah it's not setting the world on fire but i enjoyed it it's just it's just a fun superhero story Hmm. i mean what are you what what are your initial thoughts on this one then well yeah i'll I'll give an overview but um yeah like generally this isn't my type of thing i mean it's uh, i'm very touch and go with some superhero comics and beyond the films i'm not really deep into the conan lore um, for me, Conan is Arnie um, on like dodgy looking sets and well, ditto really. To be honest, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've, but, I've, uh, yeah. yeah, generally that type of fantasy magic. Yeah, can take it or leave it. But um, yeah, I was quite surprised by this book. So this one's written by Gail Simone, uh, obviously a fan of the uh, pencils are Aaron Lopretsky, uh and the ink is Matt Ryan and the colours of Wendy Broom, I believe. But, yeah. like, um, I think it's quite effective in what it's doing. I mean, there's lots of little things that I... little elements that I like that I wasn't expecting to going in. Um, so, like, I think the writing manages to correctly reflect the setting without being confusing or unwieldy or just for the sake of it, which I quite like. This, yeah, um, it doesn't just drop you in the middle of anything. Yeah. It kind of it sets it up and explains it. So it, it, even if you're new to Wonder Woman and Conan, you'd still you'd still get it. Yeah, yeah. and I, I think there's tone to the language, which uh, I, I quite enjoy. Um, and it, there's a lot of just cool touches here and there. So I like in the prologue uh, pages that we get, one for Conan and one for Wonder Woman. Yeah. Uh, Conan's is, uh, all the panels are framed um, with like axes and like weapons and stuff of, of that milieu. Uh, whereas Wonder Woman's is like branches and sprouts of like plants and flowers and like the, the, the sort of Wonder Woman shield symbol. So I thought all of that was, was really cool. Um, yeah. I think Wonder Woman's design uh so she's dressed in like Conan era type rags, but they're in like a muted version of the Wonder Woman colors. And there's even like a, a misshapen W on her chest and on her forehead. Yeah. Like, dirt, but it's in the shape of like the star that would be on I, her tiara. I thought that was a nice touch. The uh, mud, the mud splatters being yeah. the, um, the, the sigils and whatever of the Wonder Woman uniform. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, yeah. And, sorry, carry on. I think that's a cool way to to have the character in there um, without it being just like Wonder Woman ripped from like 2017 appearing there. I think it's a cool 
sort of way to retcon this as like a non-canon weird story and yeah. of them existing in the same time. So I, I think that's cool. I think the um, the uh, action framing uh, are really coherent and it's like very nice clarity to the actions um, in, in a similar way to the way I liked it in The Realm. But this goes even further in the fact that it doesn't even have onomatopoeia, but you still feel the impact of each action. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think all over the art's uh, pretty good. Um, the colours are muted, but they're not grungy, which I think could put off people going into this as a Conan book over a Wonder Woman book, where I would probably went into this as a Wonder Woman book over a Conan book. Yeah. So I kind of like that it, it feels like a merging of both of the characters' aesthetics visually. Yeah, I mean, well, the two factors that got me to pick it up was A, Gail Simone, and B, Wonder Woman. Mm. So that was that was what drew me to it, because although, I mean, I've known about Conan comics and whatever, I've not really read an awful lot of it, and uh, outside the movies like you, outside Arnold Schwarzenegger prancing about in a fur loincloth with a fake sword, yeah. I don't know much about Conan the Barbarian, so... <laughs> But yeah, but it's cool because um, yeah. I thought it would try and cast him as this like hero character in a way, but he still feel very much feels like a warrior of his time. Yeah, um, and he's all about that dollar. So I, I, I quite like that um, he's not sanitized in that way, or yeah. and the world itself isn't isn't sanitized. He's still um, savage and brutal, and you've got those yeah. those fantasy tropes in there of like the little weasel guy, and like um, yeah. I guess, yeah, you've got, you've got Conan the Barbarian, who is Conan the Barbarian. You've got the little weasel guy. You've got the... Uh, he's, he follows the Barbarian trope in this again as well. Like you say, it's not sanitised. He's still, you know, rough and ready and only in it for the gold kind of thing. <laughs> and I like I like the way the narration says, you know, like, you know, like um, as if someone's telling you a story to make him appear more altruistic than he actually is. Like in mm. places where the narration is like, never let it be said that Conan wasn't compassionate or whatever, you know. And he's only in it for the gold, and you know that. Yeah, <laughs> he's been offered women and gold, and that's why he's doing what he's doing. But yeah, I do like the artwork in this. I like, I like how it it's got like that kind of like flair of realism about it, but then at the same time, it's exaggerated in its facial expressions and things like that. You know, the yeah. way people's faces appear and stuff. I really do enjoy that. And I just, I think. It's a fun fantasy meets superhero story, and I did enjoy it. I did. It didn't. It, I mean, obviously, it didn't blow me away. Yeah. Because it wasn't. I don't think it was ever going to. Because it's not anything. It's just. I think I've been spoiled by other things that I've read lately. Um, but I think this is still good, and it's still good fun, and I'm still going to enjoy it and carry on reading it. Well, yeah, I think it's better than it should have reasons because this whole, like crossover of two ip thing is never something i go to for comics especially if something like dc comic superheroes and conan the barbarian uh like it's definitely not in my wheelhouse or what whatever so it's like i would never go for this but the fact that i read it was fairly fairly gripped and i'm actually interested in reading the next issue i know that's that says a lot about what the writing and the art like do so i think it's way better than it should be uh and i think it just yeah. being six issues 
the commitment doesn't feel too much or like it will overstay as well that's that's gonna help yeah mm. i mean obviously i mean there's another there's other crossovers that i've been reading that are crossovers from various ips you've got dynamite and dc have been doing the shadow and batman mm. um i've kind i've not really talked about it talked about it but i kind of like mentioned it a little bit on previous podcasts where i mean the shadow being the shadow from the old comics red scarf black hat twin pistols yeah dark powers and then obviously you know bringing that into the batman world and combining the two i thought that was pretty cool obviously these things are always going to be they're always going to be on a little bit of a shaky foundation where you're you're combining two very different worlds two very different mythoses where you're trying to bridge the two you're never going to have a you know you know like the suspension of belief thing you're never going to have a truly believe cohesive, cohesive uh, well. believable way of doing it yeah but uh, i think it's a good opportunity to explore what makes both characters what they are yeah what, what makes them tick what makes them so appealing yeah. and i think it's a cool way to uh, explore them and their relative and i guess i guess it's a nice way to introduce um characters that are more obscure that you may not have read the comics of or may not know too much about by tacking mm. them onto a more popular character. Which I think is usually the case that they do, where they, um, for example, tacking the Shadow onto Batman. People buy Batman comics, but people that buy Batman comics might enjoy Shadow comics because they're in a similar vein. So, you know, Batman and the Shadow working together is kind of a nice thing. Um and it introduces people to the world of the shadow and gets people interested in reading shadow comics. Hence, you know, like I guess tacking Conan onto a Wonder Woman book, uh, people are going to buy it because they like Wonder Woman. And through that, they're going to get introduced to Conan the Barbarian and maybe pick up some Conan the Barbarian comics. So I guess, I guess it's a nice way of introducing people to other stuff that they might like kind of thing. Hmm. But yeah, it's not, it, as I say, it's nothing flashy and fancy. It's a re- just a really nice little superhero crossover story, and I think, I think it's a good crossover. I think it's, I think it's one I'm going to continue to read. I like it. So yeah, Wonder Woman and Conan the Barbarian. Now the last one today um, that I have is um, it's one. It's the, the well the latest Dark Knights book. So we know about this this uh, Dark Knights event, this DC Dark Knights event. Um, that's been happening, DC Metal event. And we've been following it here. I've been following it. And I think, Leon, you've been following it a little bit as well. You've read a couple of you've read a couple of bits of it. I've read one or two, but I think yeah. I'm going to sit back and see what happens. By the trade. <laughs> yeah, because there's certain things that I'm waiting for with this. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I, 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 I want to stay on the core, and I also don't want to deal with all the outliers um and i'm just waiting for the batman who laughs yes um so this is the first of the one shots so obviously leon mentions the batman who laughs well in the at the end of dark knight's metal number two which is like the main event book we uh the the dark knights these dark versions of batman with powers that reflect other members of the justice league or other members of the dc universe have been brought forward into our well into earth one from 
the dark multiverse from the other reality and this is the first kind of look we get at one of the dark knights so this is uh the red death which is batman with the flash's powers it's starts off and it explains that the dark multiverse is which is where the these um these dark knights are from is um it's a place of stories that should never be worlds that are doomed to fail and to end um world worlds that have no chance of survival that are built upon bad decisions so when a bad decision is made in the main universe it gives birth to one of these or, or when you know when a decision is made in the main universe the the um the twisted way that decision could have gone is reflected in the dark multiverse and becomes a universe of its own uh in this we've got batman stealing the well attempt or he wants to steal the speed force from barry allen to save the world and to save gotham um because batman being batman feels like he's the only person who can do it and has to do it alone uh <laughs> um so i i think it's really cool and i think it's a really cool sort of what if story and i like i like the the concept of these dark knights i like the way I like the way they're written. Like it's it's, sort of, it's like you know, Batman shouldn't have these powers, and this is what happens when Batman gets these powers. This is why Batman shouldn't have these powers, you know, because of the way he behaves and the way he would behave. Hmm. And I like the uh, I like the way Batman tries to steal the Speed Force. It's very very heavy metal. And uh, to top it all off, the the story in this one shot is is named Ride the Lightning, which is after a Metallica track. <laughs> uh, so I think it's pretty cool, um, but yeah, it's it's a nice it's a nice cool little addition to the metal story, and um, it's a nice little look at what would happen if you know th- these bad decisions. You know what happens when these bad decisions are made in kind of like a you know like a, a sort of um, an off kind of way, like a, a Twilight Zone kind of way. Like you know these are this is what. You know, this is what happens. This is what shouldn't happen, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, this is a world where things that shouldn't happen tend to happen. And the way it's introduced, as well, it's the Batman that laughs doing the narration at the start. Which, from what we get the impression of so far, the Batman that laughs is a an amalgam of the Batman and the Joker, and is serving the demon Barbatos, which is kind of like the big bad presiding over this whole event. So Barbatos has been looking for a way into Earth Prime for a long, long time. And he's got these Dark Knights to help him do it. Or the Dark Knights have been looking for a way in from their doomed worlds to, to ensure their survival, to save their worlds, that they want to bring what they have into Earth 1 as a way to kind of preserve themselves and save themselves and Barbatos is going to help them do that. And I, I you know, I think it's pretty cool. And I like I like the way this is going so far. And I like the the way the it just while we're on talking about this this metal event actually, I like the way the other metal books tie into it as well. So I mean you've got like um I know you're saying that you've got all these like offshoots and things like that that you don't really want to have to get into and things, but you've got um 
the Gotham Resistance, which has been set up in various other books. So you've got like the Nightwing book and you've got a Teen Titans book, like these like little stories that sort of connect across these books. And there's a Suicide Squad one coming out next week um, that deal with Batman's Rose Gallery one by one, who have all been kind of beefed up given extra powers by coming into contact with this uh, crazy metal that um, the Batman that laughs seems to be giving out in the form of um, like a card which I think is pretty awesome so yeah it's a really cool event the art's great and it's I like the writing I like I like this like this one shot story I think it's nice this kind of like this because of the way Batman is the way he he's he is he is like a doomed character isn't he if you understand where i'm coming from with that yeah like yeah he walks a lonely road i know he has all these psychics and stuff but he generally walks a lonely road and uh lives a sort of doomed life there's no happy ending really to the batman story yeah and when when he steals these um the powers from the flash his he exudes this doom this you know this darkness that's inside of him this darkness and anger just just he exudes that and when he runs past people in his wake he hurts people as he runs past them you know it's like his his um his the energy that he's giving off where the flash gives off lightning he's giving off these bats and and the energy that he's giving off is harming people as he goes past them and i think that's a really you know it because this is what's inside the batman and this is what this is what comes out of him you know i think i think it's really cool i like mm. it i like i like i like i think these stories are going to be good as a way of exploring batman as a character actually yeah that's what it seems that um they're going for like i, I follow um the writing artist on twitter and in some of the previews for some of the art that they put up uh every now and again there'll be like a sentence followed saying like what this thing's about and there was one that i won't go into now until that comic comes out but about batman who laughs and what's interesting about his psychology so that, that's why i'm quite interested to, to check that out because i think it's a nice way and it's why I will go back and read these uh, in trade form. I think it's a nice way to explore uh, this character who has such this long storied history and has so many different internal struggles that are never usually made yeah. apparently aware. Is that Greg Capullo you're talking about, by the way, that you follow yeah. on Twitter? Yeah. He's, he tweets some cool things, some little nuggets from time to time that I quite enjoy. So yeah, that is uh, Dark Knight's Batman The Red Death. And next week, um, we've got another one coming um, alongside... So you've got the Suicide Squad 26, which is going to be the next part of the Gotham Resistance. That's another metal tie-in. And we've got the next one-shot coming, which is Batman The Murder Machine, which I think is um, Batman plus Cyborg. Which is pretty, which is going to be pretty cool, I think. Um, I'm, I'm sort of looking forward to checking that out. Other things, other things that we, we probably that we read this week. So we've got Mister Miracle number two. Yes, Mister Miracle two is like I, I had a fear um, after reading issue one, which I've read twice now, 
Uh, and this is the uh, Tom King, um, Mitch Gerard's book, uh, based on the Kirby character from who was one of the New Gods from the seventies. But um, yeah, I had a fear that issue one was everything I loved about it and its weirdness and its internal craziness and its uh, sort of weird static based you're fumbling through the brain type thing. Uh, I was scared that that was a flare of issue one and that things would get super conventional in issue two um, with the way how issue one ends and going into battle type thing. But yeah, my, my fears were completely didn't come to fruition as issue two moves the story along, moves the conventional story along, but you stay exploring this sort of askew in, inter, inter, internal struggle of this main character. And you're still swimming in his broken psyche, basically. Yeah. Even as the story moves forward. That's the thing. Like you're pulled forward, but you, you don't know what's real and what's not in a really cool off kilter way. But, um, yeah, like, there's so many cool things, like, whereas in issue one, you had the repetition and overbearing dread of, like, the dark side is panels. Uh, this starts off with, like, this super draining montage of war, and it's just, like, uh, as a general, just going from... Go here, do this. From, go here, yeah, do that. Go, go here, do this. front to front, yeah. yeah. Get the job Get the job done. Good. Next target. And now next target. And next target. And you can just feel it just wearing on Scott um, and it just, it's so tiring to read uh, that it's so effective, but then like things still continue. And like, there's like this really cool use, as I mentioned last time I'm speaking about issue one of like that nine panel structure and like the way the art, has this cool way of feeling like a comic written in the seventies, but uh, in a slightly, like the backgrounds are done in a slightly more sort of modern uh, textured way. I, I, I just love it that I love everything about what, what uh, King and Gerard's are doing with this book. Um, I love, I love that panel structure, the way they do the sequences through that. Mm. Like it's just, I think, I, I think, think it's so yeah. effective. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I've, where it's been in other books it's really effective as well because they do they do things and it's things are you know um how do you describe it where it's it's very sequential where they they document each moment rather than just going from one moment to the next and letting your mind fill in the blank part yeah yeah uh it, it, there's some really good examples of it in other books but i think it works really well here i really do yeah and like what this continues um, that I thought issue one set up really well that I don't often see in comics like this. And I mean, this is a fault intense purpose, a superhero comic, but not really, but um, that there's something really grounding and authentic feeling about Scott and Barda's relationship that I really like a feeling of a relationship that's just been going on for years. That is just, a partnership and there's so much unspoken and 
they're so like obviously there's a deep love there but they're um it's not overt in in it's not overt and showing instead it just feels very adult and um like these people these two work together and like prop each other up uh in good times and bad and yeah i really like the dynamic they, of that yeah like just they just feel like they've been married for a long time mm. and the uh, it, just little things like the scene with the shower yeah you know, trying to get the shower working just little yeah, things like that <laughs> one of my favorite pages in this book yeah just you know the, the little things like that that take the you know something so damn ordinary like when you check into a hotel room and you can't work out yeah you know you're both tired because you, you you've both been traveling or whatever and you and your significant other whatever check into a, a hotel room and you just can't work out how to get the shower working and all you want is a shower before you go to bed you know <laughs> mm. and like i don't know like the way they're handling this story is really cool and i think the different plot and story elements in this book are very convincing in how they they're pulling us pulling us deeper and deeper into the story. Um, that I'm actually interested in that story as well as the internal stuff, and yeah. obviously it all connecting together. So I I can't get enough of this book at the moment, and I'm just impatient at the moment but this is not even one where i'm just be like yeah i'll wait for the trade now i have to read this monthly now it's <laughs> just so, the one thing where leon's not gonna wait for the trade well there's there's been a bunch this year you guys have been bad influences but um <laughs> yeah I'm, uh, this one is just um eager uh for the the drop dates each month no, so, I, um, yeah I, I, I feel you there because it, it's um i mean obviously every every you know, there's a lot of things that I I buy everything monthly pretty much, and there's a lot of things that I I'm always looking forward to. But this is one of the ones where it's like so difficult to wait for. It really is because it's such a good book, and the things that Tom King's doing and this with the writing is just like it's just great. And it's very I think I've said this before, but it's very reminiscent of reminiscent of his work on the Vision as well, which I really like. Yeah, yeah, um to to sate my uh my hunger <laughs> I've gone back and uh, been rereading that uh first trade, so I'll probably talk about that next episode. Yeah. So yeah, I mean I, I might go back and have a read of that before next episode as well, so I c I've got something to bounce off you about when we talk. But yeah, so that has been this week's comics, I guess, that we've read. So on to what we're looking forward to. So this is stuff that will be coming out on Wednesday, the 27th of September. So this coming Wednesday. Um, this is a list of things that we're saying we're looking forward to that we will probably pick up and we, we think are good good tips for you guys. So uh, we've got Batman the Murder Machine. So if you're following the metal event, this is the next one in line, which, uh, as I mentioned, it's uh, Batman, and I think he has the cyborg's power in this one. So he's going to be kind of like Mecha Batman, kind of cyberized. Uh, we've got Batman the Shadow number six, uh, which is, you know, the Batman Shadow crossover that I mentioned, uh, which is pre- has been pretty cool so far. Um, 
Suicide Squad number 26, which is the metal tie-in, which documents the next part of the Gotham Resistance story. Uh, Diablo House number two. Um, I don't think we've ever properly discussed the first one, have we, Leon? No, no, no. But I think we probably need to. Um, Maybe around, maybe next episode, maybe maybe in the future we will. But Diablo House number two, which is kind of like this, um, I want to call it an anthology, but I can't. Can I call it an anthology because each story is different? I guess it kind of is. Yeah, it's kind of like um, Tales from the Crypt, but in comic form. So it's like individual horror stories uh, revolving around this one building, this one house, I believe, is the concept. And the first issue was really, really cool. I've been looking forward to the second one. So that's out next week. Uh, We've got the next issue of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, number 74, which is going to be The Trial of Krang. Um, We've had the Dimension X um, event, which was... The turtles gathering witnesses from across the galaxy, from you know throughout Dimension X, to stand to 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 be at this trial of Krang to give evidence against him, and now that's been completed. We've now got the trial about to go ahead, but I don't think this is going to go off without a hitch. Do you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, we've got Redneck number six, uh, which has been a fantastic story so far. So um, I'm looking forward to that. Vampires, barbecue, Texas, you know. All that really good stuff. Packlist number five, which is um, Dustin Weaver's uh, anthology series. Um, the fifth one, the fifth book is out next week. And th- it's uh, there are some continuing stories in it, but it's mainly just Dustin Weaver's head pouring out into a comic book. And I think it's really cool that it... it I, think, I think it actually, for me symbolizes creative freedom that someone can do something like this if they've got all these really cool ideas that they've been sitting on and you know he, he he's like well, you know i'm just going to publish all i'm just going to publish the contents of my head kind of thing i think is what this is and i think it's really cool and it's creative freedom and it gives him a chance to play around with stuff and i really like it um, yeah i'm probably going to jump on that soon yeah no i like it i think it's cool uh saga number 47 obviously we all know we all know about saga we all love saga continuation of the epic space opera slash life slice of life story a bit slice of life in places i guess isn't it can i say that yeah that's, that's more odyssey but yeah. yeah space odyssey slice of lifey odyssey opery type thing which is really cool uh we've got thanos number 11 uh which i've been following which is marvel's thanos has his own book venom verse number four I think I've mentioned this previously. It's basically a Marvel event where everyone's Venom. Um, and this is the fourth one now because this is getting published weekly. So we're four in. And it's... If Dark Knight's Metal is a kind of thoughtful event from DC in a way that it explores different facets of Batman and it's something that's been set up for a while, this is kind of a big dumb action movie event. So it works and it's great, but for different reasons. Mm. And uh, it's basically asks the question, what if all these people from the Marvel Universe had Venom symbiotes? So they've been drawn, basically different Venoms from different realities have been drawn into a war against a threat which um, threatens the very existence of the Venom symbiote. 
it's something that um they're called the poisons and they're these little white life form creature things that latch onto anybody wearing a venom symbiote use the person inside as an internal battery and um form the per- form the perfect kind of um the perfect symbiotic relationship with the venom symbiote and create something more powerful uh and obviously they're dangerous and need to be stopped and that's why we're getting venom america doctor strange venom <laughs> venom pool venom raccoon you get the picture <laughs> the poisons they're called poisons yeah but yeah it sounds like a pop punk band from the- i know i know yeah something something from um gem and the holograms or whatever <laughs> So uh, we've got Crosswind number four, which I know Ray's been reading, which is like a, a isn't it? Is is I I've not started reading this yet, but I get the impression that it's like a kind of Freaky Friday gone bad. Yeah, I was gonna say. I was if you didn't say that, I was gonna say that. Uh, it, I wouldn't even necessarily say gone bad. It's a, a Freaky Freaky Friday that is definitely worth checking out. Yeah, Freaky Friday, but someone's a housewife and someone's a. Um, assassin slash killer. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Victor Laval's Destroyer number five, which um, is kind of like a direct continuation of the original Frankenstein story. And it's been really interesting, actually. I've really liked some of the themes that this is ex- this is explored. Um, I like some of the issues that it's put forward as well, that it's brought into the light, and I like the way it's dealt with them. I like, I like this book. Uh, and we've got God Shaper number six, which... I think this is going to be the conclusion, isn't it? Uh, I can't remember. I'm sure it says that there's only going to be six books or somewhere someone has said, like one of the creators mm. has said that there's only going to be six. And if it continues after six, it won't be the same artist. Mm. I think that was Goonface that said that. He's like, oh, well, if it does continue after six, then it won't be me. Okay. <laughs> so I think I think there's only going to be six of these and I think six is the last one. <laughs> So, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. I guess we should move on to our questions now. So, we have questions from the Metaverse. So, Rahul, in his absence, um, has sent us a question which we'll get to first. So, first of all, Leon, he has instructions for you to answer your own question from a few weeks ago, RE ideal comfort slash reading situation. So, um, addendum, because we went so grounded... What fantastical no limit elements would you want? Because we kept it pretty sensible. We were quite IKEA about this when we uh, when we talked it over, me and Ray. So Leon, go ahead. Um, uh, it would be nothing special, but if we were going outside the realms of physics, I'd probably have this cool sort of um, floating device chair whatever that could that supported every area of your body so you were like super comfortable but not comfortable enough to fall asleep and then there'd be a screen floating in your face not a vr helmet because i think that would suffer your head uh suffocate you a bit and i don't know i like to have my head free um but yeah and there would be uh music playing that i think would be perfectly atmospheric for what's happening on the page uh general tone not panel to panel because i think that would be too jarring but um yeah, you'd just be in this like sort of space, uh, and the backgrounds would be 
tonally similar to the colors on the page that you're reading and you would just be in this this bubble divorced from the world and there'd be like no outside sounds whatsoever and you don't even need to touch anything you just think i want to i want to read this issue and then it, it knows when you want to change to- the page like total you do it total immersion yes. i was gonna i was gonna say actually um maybe something that i missed from my answer last time was ambient lighting matched to what is going on in the books yeah um, i think that's the, yeah the best way um and um so you're not a fan of styrofoam chopsticks or david bowie covers on david bowie covers then <laughs> uh, i don't want to mess with asian utensils while i'm trying to read like i don't eat like during like films and reading and stuff like that so i'm good to like lay off the snacks yeah for for like 20 minutes while i read an issue i don't i don't eat while i'm reading comic i drink but i don't eat so um yeah and the next question so rahul's second part of his question so he's like i can't make it to this recording because i'm working so he got stuck doing some work um which is a shame that he couldn't make it so we're sad that he's not here kind of um so which comic book character would you be most willing to work overtime for would you do this out of respect or out of fear he asks so this is tough um who would i be most willing to work overtime for well i can name a comic characters that i'd be least willing to work overtime for one of them being j jonah jameson what should be for jj i you know i just I wouldn't work overtime for him. I'd, he's, you know, he. I'd have no respect for him as a boss. I don't think. <laughs> and he wouldn't pay you properly. Exactly. Well. Yeah. So no, he'd he'd definitely not be getting my overtime hours. Um, if I was maybe working for, um, I don't know. Maybe if I was working for someone like Reed Richards. I might find That'd it be pretty cool. Yeah, I might find, you know, cuz you'd find it interesting even if you're just bringing him coffee every half an hour, you know? Like whatever he's working on, even if you don't really understand it, you'd find it interesting, wouldn't you? So it'd be it'd be like a really interesting place to work, to to be like sort of like an intern at Reed Richards lab maybe. I don't know. I'd be willing to yeah. put overtime in. It's in a sweet location as well. Yeah. Back to the building, middle yeah. of New York. Yeah. Um let me think are there any others? Oh, what about working in the Xavier Mansion? Yeah, but you'd be like a TA, wouldn't you? Teacher's yeah. assistant. Yeah, but you imagine being a teacher's assistant. Are like... you? But are you a mutant in this? Because if you're not, it would suck seeing all these people with powers, and you're just a pleb. True. True. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Okay. So in this scenario, probably I am a mutant. Yeah. Otherwise, it would suck. But then again, wouldn't it suck being in the Baxter Building? around the Fantastic Four with no powers? No, I, I kind of, but I think it'd be more akin to working with celebrities who are famous for doing cool stuff. Or maybe working for Stark Industries? Yeah, I think, like, Tony's ego would get draining. We'll get I on, mean, I yeah. guess... Maybe if you're not in it, direct contact with him. Maybe if you yeah, were working, like... I for, guess it depends on which interpretation, because, like... Yeah. Uh, movie, movie stocks where he is at the moment it seems like he could be quite compassionate while being a tool at the same time but at the end of the day you're still going to learn and 
benefit. So maybe that. If it's if it's Alky Tony, then that was that. I mean, what about working for? Um, I mean, we're just going through the Avengers one by one now. But Black Panther, like if you if you worked for him in his palace or something. A male Dora Milaje. Yeah. <laughs> or um, what about as uh, you'd be willing to? Would you be willing to put overtime in? I guess you'd. I guess you would. Yeah. Uh, if you worked for. Um, I did have another good. Oh, what what about if you were actually working for Shield, like not actually an agent of Shield, but someone in admin? (laughs) (laughs) I guess like because like I work in IT, so if my IT was taking calls from uh, people on the helicarrier, that could be kind of cool, I guess. Helicarriers dive bombing into the ocean, and you've got like Black Widow on the phone, like asking you, "How the fuck do I get the systems back online?" Yeah, or Maria Hill just badgering me. But, like, um, that's just Monday in IT, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, so I think, I think yeah, in answer to your question, it'd probably be, like, um, someone, you know, maybe re- someone someone that you could, that where somewhere where it would be interesting, somewhere where, you know, obviously there's a reason to stay in for overtime because you want to see what's going to happen next because you're part of this crazy world now. So, yeah. See, I, I would say... Marvel is probably, in terms of the superheroes, Marvel is definitely the better uh, avenue to go. And but if I think like um, non uh, like because it doesn't necessarily say superhero characters, but comic characters, I can't think of any that are not superheroes that I'd want to work for. No, um, yeah, if they're not superheroes, then it just becomes the same as your normal job. But I think, well, not not, not entirely, because some yeah. people are, are working quite interesting jobs. But I would say that being the Terry McGuinness to a Batman could be kind of cool. Yeah, I was actually going to say to you, working for Lucius Fox. So, yeah. like, you wouldn't know that, that Bruce Wayne was Batman. But you get to work on all the cool tech. But you get to work on all the cool tech, and you get the feeling that what you're working on is going for Batman, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But you've signed like an NDA and stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that could be epic because I think the perks would be insanely good. Yeah. If I was working if I was working for Wayne Industries under Lucius Fox, I think I'd put overtime in. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, it's this cool sort of un it's like working for a charity or something. You know yeah. it's going to a good cause. Yeah. Everybody wink wink nudge nudges. Um I think that would be awesome. Yeah. No, Wayne Industries would be good. Um, or maybe even an apprentice butler, like working for Alfred. No, that would suck. To take to take over from Alfred, getting yeah, tra- getting no. trained to take over from Alfred. No, I, I wouldn't like that. Like that's too much overtime. That that job is just overtime and nothing yeah, else. Yeah, Alfred works twenty four seven. He doesn't go home because his home is work. <laughs> yeah, no. I bet I bet he doesn't even get that good benefits either. Or holiday. Yeah poor guy no yeah no i yeah i couldn't do that um so in in answer i guess i think wayne industries is probably the one we'd be most willing to do if work if you work for wayne wayne tech so we've got another question as well from mike so mike's asked us an interesting one this time he says mike says hey guys thanks for the response on the podcast though i feel that maybe i'd have gotten different answers from you if i had admitted the word obscure 
Um, which you're probably right to be honest, because I think I think we got too focused on that, and we sort of, it sort of derailed us slightly, and we we just sort of got into defining obscure comics rather than actually giving you a clear answer. So we apologise for that. Um, so as a follow-up question, I love reading the introductions in Collected Trades from the author, but I don't think I've ever read one better than the one from Warren Ellis's Ministry of Space. Can you come up with one to top it? Might require some research. And he's included a photograph of the inside page of the uh, trading question. Um, and it is a pretty good introduction. Um, this this is... Um, yeah... No, it's pretty cool. I like it. Uh, it's Mark Miller writing the introduction um, to um, Warren Ellis's book. So I think it's pretty cool. Um, and it is quite humorous and it's quite punchy and it does grab you and it would make you want to read the book. So going on that um, as as kind of the, the, the setting the precedent, I don't know if I've got one that can top it because I think I think it's a subjective thing. But I've got two of my favourites here with me. My first one is the um, forward for Batman Haunted Night, which is by Archie Goodwin. And he starts off by recounting a Halloween night in 1944 when he was seven years old. And um, he talks about how some guy answered the door waving a rifle and screaming he was going to get sh- shoot the kid for trespassing and it's just kind of a night a cool halloween memory and um he talks kind of about why halloween stories work so well for batman and he talks about you know this kind of spirit of halloween what halloween's about um and I quite like that as an intro to a book that's quite Halloween, that's, that I feel is a celebration of Halloween. It's coming up to that time of year again, and I love Halloween. So I'll probably be busting this out and reading this again before Halloween, because that's what I do every year. I think I think that's probably one of my favourite intros. I will include um, photographs of it in the notes. The second one that I like, just for the way that it... Um, for the... Um, for the way that it dis- the, the the imagery that it uses to describe um getting into this story um this is um George R Guterres or Guterres I'm sorry I'm probably getting your name wrong I'm awful at stuff like this so please ignore me uh, but yeah George A Gu- Guterres or Guterres um this is his introduction to Space Riders uh, in the first Space Riders trade. Um, and he's started off with WTF! Exclamation mark, question mark, exclamation mark. What the hell are these guys drinking? <laughs> That's the first thought that exploded in my moustached brain as I cracked open Space Riders number one for the very first time. And like an eight-year-old kid walking into the Road Warrior, a Mexican strip club, or a cockfight, I grew up in Tijuana after all, my little world would never be the same. I was like a baby tasting sugar for the first time, and I wanted more. So if if anything is going to sort of set the precedent for this book, and set the precedent quite accurately, actually, I think... (laughs) I think that that opening paragraph right there does it. I mean, obviously, he goes on to to describe the rest of the book and you know talk about how he got paranoid and that you know if the art is so amazing in a book, then usually the story is donkey poo in his words. 
uh, and vice versa. Uh, but no, the art's good and the story's good. So he was pleasantly surprised and he really enjoyed the book from the sounds of it. So if anything is going to get me to read a book, it's that, I think. And um, it, it's like, I guess, it's like this intro that um, Mike has sent us a photograph here. It gets a little bit meta um, where he talks about the fact that an introduction is something that you would only get in a print medium because reading's an isolated experience. And I guess in in a way that when you sit and watch a film, someone will sit next to you and, you know, say, oh, wow, that bit was really good, wasn't it? You know, you don't get that with reading. And I think people, it's nice, you know, it's nice to have that, to share that with somebody. And I think that's what an introduction's for. And I think that's what, um, that's what we've got Mark Miller saying here in this one. And that's kind of like what this this Space Riders one does as well. So I love this Space Riders one for the way it's written and the fact he doesn't pull any punches. I really do like that. Um, Leon, have you got any? Well, um, yeah, I found this one to be tough because I discussed this off air and um, I looked back at some of my uh, old uh, old trades and graphic novels, uh, read through uh, some of those uh, forwards and uh, intros, but the thing I found is that none of them really stood out to me in a way that would be notable. So I wondered with that why that was, and uh, I think it just comes down to how I read those. Where I always find they're not good to read before reading the book because they can often include details um, of what happened in the comic, so then I avoid them that way. But then on the flip side, when you finished it, I like I, sometimes I don't often go back, and I think they're a thing where, like the ones uh, that you and uh, Mike have referenced, seem to be really effective in recontextualizing the book or the intentions of the book in a really cool way or exploring how um, the audience's relationship with the book um, can be different and relating that to like different elements of real life. But for me personally, I'm too hungry for the actual story. So I, I, looking back, there's none that stand out to me of being like noteworthy because I've just jumped in for the story and I've moved on to the next story. You, you just, so that is my non-answer. You just blast straight into it. So yeah. Yeah. No, which is understandable. I do that. I mean like on the first read, I'll just go straight into it. And then when I go back round again for the second read, that's when I will, um, I'll probably take in the intro and take notice of it and, yeah, because I, I get that with, on single issues, the letters to the editor. Um, if I have the next issue waiting, those letters are not getting read. If I'm waiting a month for the next issue, then I'll, I'll dive in and, and read. And it, it's just this weird thing where I don't want to be pulled out of the story a lot of the time and like to leave it on... Yeah the final panel before I move on to the next part. It's the discussion, isn't it? It's the reason mm-hmm. we do this podcast. You know, it, it it's the discussion that I guess with the print medium, 
because it's such a solitary experience as is in this um intro for ministry of space um it's um it's something that you don't get which is why people do things like we're doing which is why you get introductions written i guess mm. so, but what what, uh, what the question has generated though is that i do feel like when i hit hit back on some of these rereads of a lot of my favorite trades to read the book and then read that intro and breathe it in a bit more because uh i think there's a lot of interesting things being said and they're usually written by very talented people mm. no yeah so i hope that's a decent enough answer for you there mike <laughs> but yeah um so i guess that wraps us up so um, that brings us to a close. You can find us at www.acecomicals.com, which is kind of the hub for everything we do. Um, you can find us at uh, Facebook. You can find us on Facebook under Ace Comicals. You can find us on Twitter at Ace Comicals. You can send us a question on Twitter, or you can send us a question via email to uh, acecomicals.gmail.com. Um, you can message us a question on Facebook, I guess, if you want to as well. You can find me on Facebook at Bato. That's B-A-T-T-O-U. Um, you can find us on WordPress at acecomicals.wordpress.com. Um, Leon, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter uh, at Leon Everett. Uh, and you can also find Greg on, twi- uh, on Twitter uh, at Bato, not on Facebook. Sorry, yes, yeah, not Facebook, Twitter, yeah, you won't find me on Facebook. Yeah, no, you'll find me on Twitter at Bato, B-A-T-T-O-U, yes. Um, you can uh, catch this podcast on iTunes, um, I'm pretty sure that whatever podcatcher app you use, you'll be able to find us on there, so, um, you know, maybe leave us a review, like, subscribe. Uh, yes, sweet reviews. Yeah, someone someone, please tell us, tell us you like it. <laughs> So yeah, uh, that has been Ace Comicals number 19, so um, Ace Comicals over and out.